Welcome to Profiles. This program looks at the life and impact of the 11th president of Indiana University and late chancellor, Herman B. Wells. We'll have commentaries from faculty, administrators, and friends who knew Chancellor Wells, as well as commentary from archival recordings of Herman B. Wells himself on the issues and philosophy that guided the growth of Indiana University. Stay with us. I'm Pat Hawkins. We'll be back in a few moments with the story of Herman B. Wells, but in addition to his vision for Indiana University, Chancellor Wells was known for his prodigious love of the state itself, as well as a very great love of food. We'll have a brief interlude in recognition of these passions with music of Slats Klug called The Monon Line. The song makes specific reference to a porterhouse steak and a split of red wine consumed en route by train from Chicago to the famous West Baden Springs Hotel, located in French Lick. Stay with us. French Lick from Chicago coming in. French Lick from Chicago back again. Riding down the moon online, got a high stake and a split of that wine. French Lick from Chicago round the bend. Leaving the dirty city was a thrill. Countryside works better than a meal. Bubble water fix whatever. You don't let misery direct. So we're gonna heal every ear. It cures the rheumatiz and berry berry. Hives the grip, got dysentery. Jogs your memory, puts you in the know. Dyspepsia, gallstones, gastritis, indigestion, piles arthritis. Ain't no doubt it makes you gotta go. French lick from Chicago coming in. French lick from Chicago back again. Riding down the moon online, for the house taking a split of red wine. French lick from Chicago around the bend. The Moan Online by Slats Klug with singer and harmonica player Tad Robinson and featuring Paul Holdman on guitar. The Moan Online is a track from the CD French Lick West Baden. The lyrics in the song refer to certain properties of the mineral water for which the area of the French Lick Resort and West Baden Springs Hotel was known. Pluto water was taken for its rumored curative properties, and the West Baden Springs Hotel was known as one of the great architectural wonders of the modern world. Gangsters, politicians, celebrities, and even the occasional university president would visit the area from miles around. Welcome to this special edition of Profiles, Herman B. Wells. I'm Pat Hawkins. 
Herman B. Wells was an Indiana University student, faculty member, business school dean, president, and chancellor. During much of this program, you will hear portions of the audio CD, The Spirit of Indiana, Herman B. Wells, which was produced in December of 2000 for the Indiana University Foundation. From 1988 to 2008, the president of the IU Foundation was Kurt Simic. Mr. Simic knew Herman B. Wells very well. I'll start by giving my favorite story of Dr. Wells. Some years ago, we were getting ready to build the university theater that's on the corner of 7th and Jordan, and we were raising the money for it. And we had one potential major donor that we needed to find a way to get her attention. So we invited her advisor to the office, Dr. Wells and I, and we chatted with him. And this man said, well, when you get to the point where you're halfway to the goal, come back to us and we probably will be favorably disposed. Well, we worked on the goal for a period of time, and we got to halfway, and uh, I called Dr. Wells and said, I'm going up to see John to talk about the gift for the theater, and it would be wonderful if you'd give him a call. Well, when I got to Indianapolis and got out of my car, John was getting out of his car at the same time and said to me, not hello. He just simply said, Herman Wells called me, and it went on from there. We had a wonderful luncheon, and there was a commitment of a major gift. So on my way back to Bloomington, I stopped at Gray's Cafeteria in Mooresville, one of my favorite places and one of Dr. Wells' favorite places for pies. Well, he loved rhubarb pie, and it just happened to be the right time of year, so I bought a rhubarb pie and headed down to Bloomington. I parked my car at his home and knocked on the door and went in, and he was in the swimming pool. Uh, We chatted, and I told him about the gift, and I gave him the rhubarb pie, and we just had a nice time, and he was still paddling around in the pool, as I turned to leave, and he said, Kurt, Kurt. I said, yes, sir. He said, you know, I really appreciate being asked to help with things like this, and any time you want me to do anything, I'll be very happy to do it as long as the reward is a rhubarb pie. On June 7, 1902, Herman B. Wells was born in Jamestown, Indiana. The ideals of Herman Wells are rooted in the soil of that small agricultural community west of Indianapolis. Wells grew up in Lebanon and often spoke of his boyhood in Boone County. As I look back, it seems to me that I was born in the best of all times and under the best of all possible circumstances. I was also extremely fortunate to have been born in a little town that afforded me, as a youngster growing up, a wonderful chance to explore nature and to know people. My best fortune of all was to have had for parents an ambitious young couple who were wise, encouraging, and loving. Herman B. Wells graduated from Indiana University in 1924. With a new business degree from IU, Herman became the assistant cashier of the Bank of Lebanon. But the Depression loomed, and his concern about the epidemic of small-town bank failures soon sent him back to IU for additional business perspectives. 
Herman Wells spent the Depression years juggling the positions of Field Secretary of the Indiana Bankers Association, Research Director for the Study Commission for Indiana Financial Institutions, Supervisor of the State Division of Banks and Trust Companies, and Assistant Professor at Indiana University. In 1935, Wells was appointed Dean of the IU School of Business. In 1936, IU President William Lowell Bryan announced his intention to retire, so the IU Board of Trustees tapped Herman B. Wells to be acting president of the university. I was out of my cabin in Brown County. I was sleeping out there, and about midnight the telephone rang, and I knew uh, the lights were all off, of course, in Brown County. By that time, they turned the electricity off at, at midnight, and then the telephone only rang in case of dire emergency after 10, after 10 o'clock. So uh, I knew it must be something important, and I got on the telephone. It was Judge Willermuth, who was then pre pre president of the board. And, and uh, I said, what's uh, is something on fire? <laughs> he, he said, no, we're at, uh, the board's in session, and... Dr. Bryan startled us this afternoon by telling us that he's going to quit and, and he wants to step out by July 1st. Now, we knew he, he said he was going to go soon, but we didn't expect him to go that fast. He was then 76. And uh, we finally decided we want to make you acting president starting July 1st. And I said, well, I, that, that's, I don't think that's a very good idea. I think there are a lot of other uh, people that are better qualified than I am to, to, to do that. Uh, I shouldn't say that to you as chairman of the board. And the judge was a man of great candor, of course. He said, the reason we want, want you is we know we don't want you for permanent president. <laughs> so so if you'll take, uh, you take the uh, acting presidency, that'll give us time to look around. Herman B. Wells never considered himself a serious candidate for IU president. But on March 22, 1938, the trustees chose him as IU's permanent president. So, on December 1, 1938, the Chief Justice of the Indiana Supreme Court, George Tremaine, administered the oath of office to the 11th President of Indiana University. Dr. Wells, it becomes my pleasure and duty to administer to you the oath of office. You will raise your right hand. You do solemnly swear that you will support the Constitution of the United States of America the Constitution of the State of Indiana, and that you will honestly, faithfully, and impartially perform the duties of the office of President of the University of the State of Indiana to the best of your ability, so help you God. I do. Throughout his years as president, Herman B. Wells had a vision for Indiana University as an institution and a plan for the main campus in Bloomington. And we early determined, uh, roughly, that we would, we would uh, have a, um, a campus plan in which we had the, um, uh, the academic uh, buildings insofar as possible on one side of a crescent and the residence uh, structures on the other side of the Crescents with the library and the um, uh, uh, auditorium more or less yes. in the center of it. Herman Wells was always interested in the total environment of Indiana University. Professor James Capshew. 
He was interested in the kind of aesthetic qualities that an attractive campus presents. And he saw this not only as a strong tool for recruitment and retention of faculty members, he saw this as an essential part of intellectual life. He kept in a drawer in his desk plans for the university when he started of where it would be 5, 10, 15 years from then. I use 15th President Tom Ehrlich. He wanted to be sure that physically the character and quality of the institution uh, remained the same because he believed passionately that we live up to our environment, that the more beautiful the physical environment, the straighter we stand and the taller we reach. The core of the campus, the old campus as we call it, the woods between Bryan and uh, Kirkwood Hall, uh, is supposed to be inviolate. Henry Remack, Professor Emeritus of Germanic Studies and Comparative Literature. There have been from time to time attempts to use this very valuable ground for, for some buildings in the quadrangle to get a little more ground, to get a little more space. And Herman has been staunchly opposed to that, and that's why you find his bust in front of Kirkwood Hall looking in the direction of the woods as a guardian of their being inviolable for all eternity. Early in the war period, we began to foresee, with the conclusion of World War II, there'd be an enormous expansion of, uh, of student enrollment. There was a great deal of land just north of the university, north and east of the university. It was undeveloped in that period. We didn't have money, but in those days we had the flexibility of our budget. We had a, a, a faculty that, when the idea was shared with them, they understood what we were trying to accomplish for the future. And so we took out of our meager operating funds uh, uh, money to buy land. We put ourselves in position to buy when people were ready to sell. Yes. And that way we saved the university and the state millions of dollars yes. had we waited till after the war to uh, purchase much of this okay. land. So we bought hundreds of acres that enabled this university to uh, be ready uh, physically for the post-war development. Then we had land with which to operate, and we early determined, uh, roughly, that we would uh, have a um, campus plan in which we had the academic uh, buildings insofar as possible on one side of a crescent, and the residence uh, structures on the other side of the crescents with the library and the uh, auditorium more or less in the center of it. When you come down to a little period right after World War II, uh, Ralph Gates was the governor. He helped us get, as far as he could, PWA funds to match for the building of uh, permanent buildings and uh, also helped us to get an enormous amount of, of temporary structures from all over, which we moved in here.
was Al Colbine's Big Band with Back Home Again in Indiana by Ballard McDonald and James F. Hanley. Herman B. Wells spoke of the importance of differentiation. Uh, we determined that we would um, keep this university, uh, we developed this university without going into the field of engineering, uh, which of course was, uh, there was great pressure to do, but we believed in the differentiation of curriculum between Purdue and Indiana. So we tried to develop in the fields that we thought to be ours and leave Purdue their fields. That way we felt we could develop in depth rather than spend our money in, in breadth. Herman Wells' vision for Indiana University included IU being a source of culture. There's no question but what he wanted the university to be a cultural center for the state. Dottie Collins was Herman Wells' friend and research associate. And he wanted uh, music and drama and uh, uh, dance and so forth in every corner of Indiana emanating from Indiana University. The state universities are the quality institutions of the Middle West. These are the institutions to which the people look. Uh, for whatever they need and the whole range of teaching and human experience and performance. The difference between uh, that of Herman Wells and many, many other presidents is that he has a great consciousness about uh, the place of the fine arts. Wilfred Bain served as dean of the IU School of Music from 1947 to 1973. He had a general belief in the goodness of uh, of music, of the arts, to build the spirit of mankind. During his administration, we built the main auditorium, which was a really a, a wonderful structure. Dottie Collins passed away on February 21st, 2010, at the age of 97. The IU Auditorium is the focal point of the Fine Arts Plaza on the Bloomington campus. It was completed in 1941, and more than 50 years later, the auditorium was reopened in 1999 after a 22-month renovation. Josiah K. Lilly donated his collection of rare books to establish the Lilly Library, which is located on the south side of the plaza. Mrs. Ralph Showalter crowned the plaza with the gift of a fountain depicting the birth of Venus surrounded by dolphins. Showalter Fountain is in the center of the Fine Arts Plaza. To the north is the School of Fine Arts and the IU Art Museum. Herman B. Wells' term as IU president lasted 25 years. In 1962, the trustees named Wells Chancellor of Indiana University. Before Dr. Wells left the presidency, the board had determined to make him chancellor. Dottie Collins. Some people felt he had a lot of administrative ability left in him that should be continued. His own feeling was that he needed a title like that in order to get money, and one of his principal responsibilities once he left the presidency was to get money for the university through the foundation generally. Despite his retirement from the presidency, Chancellor Wells remained a vital force in the development of the institution he loved. 
He foresaw that no public university would succeed without the infusion of private capital. So, volunteering his time and working from a memento-filled office in Owen Hall, Wells contacted countless prospective donors and alumni. For more than three decades following his retirement as president, Wells continued to serve the university, both at home and abroad. On campus, he remained a regular figure at IU events, visiting student groups, attending lectures and performances, and advising faculty and administrators. During his years as IU president and chancellor, Herman Wells accomplished much. Shortly after his death on March 18, 2000, two past IU presidents, Tom Ehrlich and John Ryan, described Herman Wells' accomplishments when they spoke at a celebration of Herman Wells' life, which took place on April 5, 2000. All through those early years of his presidency, he kept in his desk plans of how the university would and should develop physically, academically, and he presided over those plans as the years went on, steering a small Midwestern college toward greatness. He reached out around the world to establish international programs that made IU better known in some parts of Asia and Europe than even in the United States. He worked closely with private as well as public institutions for the benefit of the entire state. Most visibly, he understood the importance of a splendid environment and ensured that as the Bloomington campus grew, it would retain its natural beauty, its architectural cohesion, the atmosphere of a small campus. He did construct a university physically splendid as Athens. He did enlist brilliant intellect to form a center of enlightenment and guidance for a vibrant industrial civilization. He achieved a place habitable by scholars, by artists, by all, seeking a home of learning, a place of beauty. And his infectious optimism enlivened a community of good men and women. Yes, and something more. He built for the ages because he leaves as legacy generations of inspired women and men who will forward his vision, who will continue to build the university Indiana should have. Besides being an IU administrator, Herman B. Wells was a consummate storyteller. And the first president, Andrew Wiley, of the university, so it was alleged, had known George Washington as a boy. It was my later good fortune to share with Dr. Bryan his remembrances of things past. They became so much a part of me that I find myself occasionally reminiscing about George Washington. <laughs> Over the years, there have been many thoughts about ways to honor Wells. He's always insisted that he did not want a building named after him. He also has resisted having programs named after him. But when there was some discussion in the mid-80s of some way to try to honor him, especially as he approached his 90th birthday, uh, some of his friends conceived of a program for some of the outstanding young students of Indiana and surrounding states that would be named in his honor. 
the idea being to bring some of the best minds from Indiana to Bloomington for an experience that would combine what it meant to be at a large, pluralistic Midwestern university, and also what it would be like if they were at Oxford or Cambridge. If my name must be connected with something, I'm delighted to have it connected with the ambitious scholarship and academic enhancement program that is being announced here tonight. It will provide a gateway of opportunity to some of the best and brightest students in the land. This program, once established, is one which will go on forever and will be of incalculable benefit to the basic mission of the university. 50, 100 years from now, there would be hundreds of Welsh scholars trained in the kind of education that he envisioned for all Indiana students, carrying his name, and therefore, for uh, years and years after his death, there would be the best minds, young minds in Indiana, would know and have a connection with uh, Herman B. Wells, the person who built Indiana University, and the person who had such an impact on the state of Indiana. Herman B. Wells passed away on March 18, 2000. A celebration of his life was held on April 5, 2000 at the IU Auditorium. During that celebration, Herman Wells was called a hero by successful writer and IU English professor Scott Russell Sanders. Professor Sanders describes Chancellor Wells in eloquent terms. He gave himself heart and soul to enriching life not only in this university and not only in this state and not only in this country, but in countries around the world. Instead of following money and fame wherever they might have led him, Herman Wells committed himself to this place, to this cause, and to this profession. He found the work he loved and then gave himself to it with enormous energy and zest. The work was not easy. In a state with a history of racial bigotry and strife, he insisted that all human beings, regardless of their color, deserve equal treatment, and he made sure they received it, first on campus, then in Bloomington, and then gradually, imperfectly, throughout Indiana. In a region that has often been prudish about sexuality, he supported research on this fundamental aspect of human life. In a state where public support for the arts has never been strong, he fostered brilliant programs in music, dance, the visual arts, theater, and literature. Although his own background was in economics and business, he resisted the idea that a university should only nurture those fields of study that make cash registers ring. Instead, he supported the full range of human inquiry, from folklore to philosophy, from anthropology to zoology. In a state that has squandered much of its natural wealth and that has not always taken good care of its waters and soils and air, he was a champion of trees and wild lands. At a time when Americans tended to be suspicious of everything foreign and in a state 
where it was easy to feel insulated from other countries. He insisted on opening the university to the whole world. Broad access to higher education was a key element of the Wells' vision of Indiana University. Henry Remack. To make education of the highest caliber available to everybody that is ready for it, that can qualify for it, regardless of economic and social and racial and ethnic origin. However, not at the price of lowering the expectations, but of developing the potential of each student to reach a respectable academic intellectual level. Professor Henry Remack died on February 12, 2009, at the age of 92. Ken Gross-Lewis spoke of Wells' desire to bring the world to IU. He wanted to bring to the young people of Indiana a sense of the world. Ken Gross-Lewis. The world that they might not otherwise have a taste of coming from the kinds of small towns that he himself came from. Indiana University has always done more with less in terms of its state appropriations, in terms of its endowment from private sources. Professor James Capshu. Part of Herman Wells' strategy as president was uh, he realized the university couldn't be everything, uh, couldn't do everything, couldn't be all things to all people. He would focus on areas in which Indiana University had the opportunity, through a relatively small investment of resources, to make a great impact on the world of scholarship. He talks about this in his autobiography. He says provide for the, for the exotic, the esoteric, the impractical. The other things will take care of themselves. Freedom, 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 freedom. If there was a fundamental theme that ran throughout Herman Wells' life, it was the principle of intellectual freedom. Professor Emeritus Henry Remack explains. Academic freedom to Wells meant the freedom of professors to discover or promote unpalatable truths as they saw it, to be unpopular. He felt that a free exchange of ideas, provided they had intellectual substance, needed entire protection from administrators. For President Wells, the greatest test of academic freedom came from the 1938 research of Professor Alfred Kinsey. The respected biologist became interested in human sexuality when he discovered how little scientific information about sex was available to answer students' questions. Employing the research techniques he used in the study of gall wasps, Kinsey launched an ambitious project to collect 100,000 sexual histories. Despite the full support of President Wells and the IU Board of Trustees, Kinsey and the university faced a rising storm of protest, which peaked with the 1953 publication of Sexual Behavior in the Human Female. I happen to believe that... uh universities uh, are simply the length and shadow of, of their faculties, uh, the members of their faculty, that uh, uh, if you have a great faculty, you have a great university, whether you have buildings or anything else, 
It's not difficult to be a successful university president. All you have to do is to get the right faculty members and then leave them alone. Give them their head. Let them find their careers and give them as much support as you can and protect them and love them and uh, praise them when they succeed and comfort them when they fail. Professor James Capshew describes the value to a university of strong support for the faculty. I think it uh, provided a tremendous amount of encouragement uh, to faculty members here at the university, knowing that they had such a staunch defender uh, in their court. I think it also uh, provided a beacon for other universities around the country that uh, here in a conservative Midwestern state, uh, you could have uh, a university which not only... uh, espoused the ideal of intellectual freedom, but actually uh, protected and fostered it. Can't get Indiana off my mind That's the place I long In Indiana I will find All the folks so dear to me How I'd love to see that lazy river Stop and give her my That was Al Colbine's big band with Can't Get Indiana Off My Mind by Hoagie Carmichael. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And the Funeral Chapel of Bloomington, providing funeral and crematory arrangement services for the chapel, church, and graveside. The Funeral Chapel, to honor and commemorate. 333-4400 or online at pdcfuneralchapel.com. During his term as IU president, Herman Wells met many challenges. Among them was desegregating the Bloomington campus. What was the campus like in the late 1940s? Ask Laverta Terry and George Taliaferro, two African-American students at the time. I remember going into the cafeteria and uh, being told to go to the back of the line. And when I got back up to the food area, I was told to go to the back of the line again. And um, it was really interesting because I wasn't catching on. They really didn't want to, to serve me. There were very few activities that we could participate in either on campus or off campus. Black students weren't permitted to live in the dormitories. We couldn't swim in the swimming pool. We were just getting permission to eat in the commons We couldn't eat in the restaurants. We couldn't go to the movies except on the weekends, and you had to sit upstairs. And the biggest shock of my life was when I came to Bloomington 
and was told that I could not live in the dormitory where my teammates lived. Laverta Terry and George Taliaferro describe how Herman Wells worked to integrate the Bloomington campus. My husband said that there was a man named President Wells who had been uh, making some uh, changes that uh, were easing up tensions on the campus and tensions in Bloomington. Herman Wells smoothed the way with the faculty and with the staff and the integration of the facilities came about without anybody raising their hackles. From 1982 until her retirement in 1992, Laverta Terry was director of the Groups Program at IU Bloomington. Integrating IU Bloomington was only part of the solution. George Taliaferro explains how President Wells addressed segregation in the community. I told him, I said, I can't eat in the restaurants. I've got a dollar and 25 cents because that was all the money in the world in those days. And I can't buy a sandwich. I can't get a Coca-Cola. And he said, well, let's see about it. The next thing I know, I was being invited to uh, try out black students going into the restaurants or right off campus. He was there, and he was a force when called upon. George Taliaferro played halfback on the IU football team for three seasons. During his last season in 1948, he was named a first-team All-American. During the 25 years of his presidency, Herman B. Wells fostered the growth of Indiana University from a small Midwestern college to a major research university of international stature. The great universities, all of them, have been international in character. Peter Frankel was a longtime assistant to IU presidents Wells and Ryan. And so it was perfectly natural, logical, essential for uh, this provincial university to uh, be given a meaningful international dimension. Indiana University is better known in Bangkok or Eastern Europe or scores of places throughout the world than it is in many parts of the United States because of Herman Wells. Tom Ehrlich. We have the strongest international programs of any public university in the country, but it was Herman who started those. Herman Wells' commitment to internationalism first emerged in 1941 when he participated in the Institute on Inter-American Affairs and traveled throughout Latin America. His Latin American experiences convinced Wells that Indiana University had a role to play in international affairs. In 1947, Acting U.S. Secretary of State Dean Acheson invited Wells to observe the first post-war election in Greece. After returning to Bloomington, Wells decided that future diplomatic assignments would have to pertain to education. Within 17 months, General Lucius Clay invited the IU president to head the new Education and Cultural Affairs branch of the United States military government in Germany. 
Herman Wells was also involved with the United Nations. As a member of the American Council on Education, Wells was one of the delegates to the San Francisco Conference that founded the UN. In 1957, at the request of Secretary of State John Foster Dulles, Herman Wells became a lay representative to the 12th session of the UN General Assembly. Indiana University grew to share the international stature of her 11th president, as IU Bloomington Chancellor Ken Gross Lewis explains. It was Wells who, in the 50s, at a time when there was significant American isolationism, brought to Bloomington individuals to teach in Russian studies, to teach in Uralic and Altaic studies, to teach in African studies, to teach in Latin American studies, to teach in Asian studies. A whole series of programs were developed at a time that it took great vision to realize that these programs would be important. IU's international interests were not universally acclaimed in her home state. As we began to develop more and more in the Russian and East European fields, yes. uh, Instead of looking at this uh, as a, a necessary way in which to enter the post-war world, uh, there were those in Indiana who thought this meant that we were pro-Russian. And mm -hmm. There's that famous incident in which the Legion, I think, irresponsibly uh, charged us uh, with communist leanings and asked the governor to investigate us. Then on another occasion, there was... Uh, protest of us uh, bringing in the communist uh, documents. But now everyone realizes that we needed to know what the communists were doing. We needed it very much. Uh, we needed to know what kind of uh, social philosophy and experimentation they were undertaking in order to counter it. We had to have many a battle over uh, the protection of the freedom of the scholar to think and the freedom of the university to build its library there. in whatever field it is needed. All of this, of course, seemed very serious at the time. And it could be very, very bitter when you had to face it day after day. But basically, through the years, this wonderful state of ours has had great belief in the university. And our faculty and our administration always has to remember that that wonderful, strong current of support is there. The Indiana University community celebrated Herman Wells' life on Wednesday, April 5, 2000. Speaking at the event, which was held in the auditorium, IU President Miles Brand described Chancellor Wells' spirit as a treasure. As we feel the loss of Chancellor Wells' physical presence in our midst, it is important for us to remember that death ends a life, but it does not end a relationship Herman Wells' spirit is a rich treasure embedded deep in the foundations of this university. 
It is a treasure that we and generations to come will mine devotedly, that we will draw strength and guidance from daily. In paying tribute to Herman Wells, Ken Gross Lewis thinks about the past and the future. What will the name Wells mean to a freshman, assistant professor, a new dean who arrives here next fall or 20 or 1,000 years from now in the year 3000? Even in life, Wells was more than a list of achievements or a repository of folklore, although he was both. He was central to this university's most cherished traditions and hallmarks. His name represented access to education, small-town roots, and international outlook, the cultivation of talent with no impediment of bigotry or prejudice, the primacy of scholarship, the knack for friendship with the campus's most eminent professor and its most humble groundskeeper, or, as Wells might have thought, the campus's most humble professor and its most eminent groundskeeper. <laughs> to speak of Wells is to speak of an idea, the idea of Herman Wells. Democratic simplicity and decency coexisting with elegance and taste. The idea of Herman Wells, understanding that the role of administration is nothing more than to recruit the most talented faculty and students and to create the atmosphere in which they may do their best work. The idea of Herman Wells, a deep and unpretentious love for the arts, the will to pursue the excellent, a desire to provide, as he put it, for the esoteric, the exotic, the impractical, confident that the practical and the pedestrian would take care of themselves. Folklore, let's do it. Uralic and Altaic, what a super idea. Wilfred, get the best talent, and we'll have a great music school. The idea of Herman Wells. This institution's singular setting amid limestone, sycamore, and dogwood, reminding us of our natural heritage and of the inspiration that comes to teacher and student from maintaining campus beauty and harmony. The idea of Herman Wells. The courage not only to defend freedom of inquiry and publication, but to articulate why these are the university's reason for being. Who better to describe Herman Wells than his minister, Reverend Phil Amerson, as he conducted the Wells funeral service on Wednesday, March 22, 2000? It is quintessential HBW. Humble yet proper. Not puffed up, but clear about the meaning of things. It is his faith in something beyond himself and not his biography that marks his greatness. It was his faith and not his countless citations which caused his eyes to dance and his countenance to shine. It is faith in the good people of Indiana, faith in human intellect, but more. It is faith in his creator. Reverend Amerson continues his commentary by noting the marks of Herman Wells' greatness. Of course, it was his incessant curiosity 
his genuine humility, his steadfast generosity, his practiced sense of humor, and his sure hospitality. But more, here was a man who saw the world comprehensively, who entertained paradox naturally, and who would never be too full of his own self-importance to recognize his family connection with every other human being. One evening, not too many years ago, Herman showed up, as he often would, at a little-known event that was occurring on the campus. It was not well publicized. A small crowd was gathered, and a panel discussion was to occur on a rather esoteric topic. Before the meeting, Herman was seated in the back of the room. When asked if he was a participant in the program, he scratched his chin and said, No, I'm just adding a little weight to the occasion. (laughs) Why was Herman B. Wells so admired and loved? Those feelings were a reflection of how Chancellor Wells felt about others. In 1962, at the end of his presidency, Herman Wells talked about the students. During the past 25 years, I have signed the diplomas of all graduates. Each diploma has been read, as well as signed, one at a time. This has given me a sense of personal identification with each graduate. Each one is more precious than all. And this is the attitude of our alma mater. Each student scholar is precious in her eye. Each stands for a unique individuality and each represents a divine opportunity. He made it a point to be on campus. George Taliaferro. He appeared to relate to students where students were. You didn't have to come to Bryan Hall in order to make contact with Dr. Wells. Students have always raised questions, of course. I know of no student generation that has accepted everything it was told, that hasn't been curious about new possibilities. Curiosity is the best kind of motivation for learning and discovering. Even troublesome questions have a virtue, for they stimulate us to make sure our assumptions are well-founded. He simply is a very outgoing person who loves faculty and students. Henry Remack. He has a tremendous trust in their potential. He is interested in them as individuals. He doesn't forget anything about them. People realize what's the difference between a phony kind of coziness and what is genuine. The memory of Herman B. Wells is embodied in a building. On the IU Bloomington campus, the Herman B. Wells Library is located on East 10th Street. During the celebration of Chancellor Wells' life, IU's 16th president, Miles Brand, spoke about the main library as a tribute. I can think of no more fitting tribute than to name the library, which is the heart and soul of the university, after this champion of knowledge and discovery. As President Brand concluded his formal remarks, he took the occasion to thank Chancellor Wells for all that he had given to Indiana University. And finally, I'd like to say a heartfelt thank you 
to Herman B. Wells for sharing his life so generously and so graciously and for touching each of us in so many, many ways. Miles Brand died on September 16, 2009, at the age of 67. The university doesn't owe me any thanks, as much as I appreciate your, your beautiful tribute. Quite the contrary. The obligation goes the other way. Because it's given me a chance to have wonderful work with wonderful people for a whole lifetime. Now, one last time, let's hear a familiar voice as Herman B. Wells expressed hope for the graduating students and for all of us when he delivered the commencement address in 1988. Follow your rainbow. Make your rainbow a large one, larger than any horizon you can envision. Make the horde at the end of your rainbow sufficiently large to contain the dreams of all the things you wish to accomplish for yourself and for society. And now my personal wish for you, may you ever be lucky. Thank you for listening. Our producers for this program are Byron Smith, Pat Hawkins, and Carrie Boyce. Christina Kuzmich is executive producer. Perry Metz is executive in charge. Thanks to our staff, Luann Johnson, Scott Witzke, and Michael Paskash. Thanks also to WTIU Television, the IU Office of Communications, and the Indiana University Foundation for materials used in this program. Profiles is a production of WFIU. More information at WFIU.org. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. And the Funeral Chapel of Bloomington, providing funeral and crematory arrangement services for the chapel, church, and graveside. The Funeral Chapel, to honor and commemorate. 333-4400 or online at pdcfuneralchapel.com. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. 
Information about Profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Christina Kuzmich, executive producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.